Well, just in case I didn't communicate clearly, that means we will not have online services in the morning beginning next week. We are, uh, we'll be shifting to that in-person service. We'll talk a lot about that later. Um, this morning, though, what we want to do is we want to wrap up our redemption series. And uh, we've got one great reword left, and uh, it's found in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. If you're new to redemption, uh, this redemption series is talking about relaunching our church. And here's what we didn't know when we started this series. We did not know that there was a potential building um, as an option for us to move into. I think of Ephesians 3 often uh, when it talks about God doing more than you could think or imagine. And when we entered into online services on March 15th, we would have never thought that we would be doing this for, I think, 17 weeks. Uh, We would have never anticipated, though, more than we could have imagined that we would have come out of this season from portable church to online church in a 650-square-foot office to... um, going into our own 24,000 square foot building. So God has been so good and faithful to us. And this morning, as we wrap up the redemption series, preparing for relaunch, we're gonna look at one last re-word. And it's in Acts chapter four, verse 23. Let me read it to you. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Our word for the morning is released, when they were released. And I believe it's a fitting word because we as a church are collectively being released into our next season as a church body. Um, For those of you who are ready to have a a public gathering, ready to be in service together, you're being released from behind your computer screens um, into a normal service uh, again. And we're really excited about that. And so I think this word is fitting for us this morning. Now, as we're looking at this, um, I want to kind of give you a snapshot of the, the a picture of what the apostles were being released from, what were they were being released to, and what was the power behind their release. And so we'll look at it through those three questions this morning. Over this redemption series, we have seen an unbelievable transformation in the lives of the apostles. We started this series really back around Easter um, in a pre-series called I Saw Jesus. And there we saw a group of disciples who were um, afraid of persecution, who were kind of stingy, who were afraid to proclaim the name of Jesus in the face of opposition, uh, and a group of disciples who were still disunified. And now through this series and into today, we see a completely transformed group of followers of Jesus. They became the church that Jesus came to plant. How did they do that? Well, we saw that it began with them receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw how they regrouped as a team and uh, unified together. Uh, We saw how they repented uh, and turned to Jesus uh, and preached a clear and compelling gospel. We saw how they refreshed each other in their gatherings in the presence of the Lord. And today we're going to see how they were then released from prison. And um, of course, actually they're released from prison, but also we see in this story that they were metaphorically um, released from some things so that they could move into what God wanted to do next in them and through them. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. As I told you, our key word for this morning is released found in Acts chapter four, verse 23. And our first question is this, what were they released from? 
The story goes like this. Peter and John were walking into the temple. And as they were walking into the temple, there was a beggar who said, uh, can you release me from this um, he was lame. Can you release me from this sickness that I have? Or can you actually just give me some money? And Peter and John said, we don't have any money, but here's what we can do. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so this one miracle set forth these string of events uh, that ended with Peter and John being imprisoned for proclaiming the name of Jesus. At the end of it, the elders uh, of the Jewish faith, who were the ones imprisoning them, said, um, you can be released, but you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, we can't not do that. We have to preach in the name of Jesus. We saw it and we heard it with our own eyes and our own ears. And so, of course, we're going to preach in the name of Jesus. And so there was a little more conversation and finally said, fine, we'll release you anyway. And that's what we're picking up in Acts chapter 4. Now, you can only be released from something if you were a captive to something else. So what were they captive to? Well, of course, they were captive to their opposition. And so the first thing we see that they're released from was, in this particular case, their opposition. Now, their opposition was leaders, both political, cultural, and religious leaders that were opposing them. But here's what's interesting in the release uh, that they experienced from their opposition. Um, They were never antagonistic to their opposition. They were never disrespectful to their opposition. Later, they're actually going to pray, and they're not even going to pray against their opposition. They're just going to pray that they would have boldness and strength in the midst of the opposition. But as they were faithful to Christ in the midst of this opposition, they end up um, being released to go out and to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. They were not deterred by ungodly authority, yet they also didn't stand in stark opposition against that ungodly authority. I think it's a great lesson for us to see, particularly in our current environments, that these apostles were so firm in their faith and their trust in God that they would not lift their voice against authority. Instead, they just prayed, God, give me strength to keep on going and to proclaim the name of Jesus, even in the midst of this opposition. Now, they were, of course, released from their opposition, which allowed them to advance the name of Jesus. And so I really think that God did release them from this so that they could continue to proclaim the name of Jesus and the church that Jesus came to plant could continue to expand and to grow. What else are they released from? They're also here released from the power of religion. Uh, These leaders were religious leaders, uh, more so than political leaders. They did have some political power, but they're really here, uh, this particular group, they're they're religious leaders. And so they're released from the hold of religion. And uh, this is something that the apostles, uh, they grew up in this Jewish faith, and they grew up in um, not believing, uh, believing that a Messiah would come, but then seeing how all of the people of their faith that they had grown up in, most of them had missed it. In fact, over and over, Peter has said, you, Jewish leaders, you, Jewish people, you killed Jesus. You'd been waiting for the Messiah, and you missed him, and you killed him. Now you can see here that clearly Peter uh, and John and the rest of the apostles, they are free from the hold that their previous religion, Judaism, had had over them. Now, I want to make an analogy that as they were um, free from the previous hold that religion had over them, uh, that you and I can be free from the way religion creeps back into the modern church. 
This comes in the form often of tradition. Um, Sometimes it comes in the form of beliefs that we have added to Christianity that aren't the actual words of Jesus. I was talking to a friend or texting a friend earlier this week, and he was saying about how there was a truth in Scripture that has been so perverted in modern um, church or American Christianity that he's kind of thrown the truth out. But he said he went back and he read the Scripture, and he saw how that truth was in the Scripture in Jesus' own words four different times. And he just reminded himself how sometimes when you see certain truths polluted by um, either modern faith or tradition, um, that there, there is a truth underneath there. And though we need to throw away or push out how it's been perverted, we still want to hold on to the truth. Part of being released from religion is to throw off the shackles that man-made religion or tradition sometimes in church has placed back on us. Take that off and say, well, now what do the scriptures actually say? See, it would have been easy for the Jew, or for Peter and, 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 and John here to compromise the gospel. They had been told, you can leave and you can be released and you can go out and preach, just don't mention the name of Jesus. But what did they say? They say, no, 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 that's what our entire faith is about. <laughs> We're not gonna compromise this. We're not gonna just go and talk about God. We're not just gonna go talk about a good moral teaching. We have to talk about Jesus but they were released from this this religion uh, and they were released then to do what they knew they were supposed to do, which is to proclaim the name of Jesus. Friends, some of us, I believe, are probably still trapped, still trapped in um, traditions that we grew up in, still trapped on uh, with things that we've added to Christianity that aren't actually presented in the scriptures. And part of our release into this new season that God has for you and for us as a church is throwing those things off, getting back to the scriptures, seeing what it's actually all about. What else were they released from? Say they were released from previous patterns. I mean, look at Peter. On the day of Jesus' betrayal, um, he cowered in fear. Uh, His anger rose up every time that somebody tried to uh, um, connect him with Jesus. And now here, just a few days, really, um, a couple weeks later, he's being told, don't preach in Jesus's name um, by the same people who had killed Jesus. And he's saying, I'm going to keep doing it. Whatever you want to do to me, that's fine. They weren't reverting back to their previous patterns. They were changed, transformed people. What about you? Are you able to be released from um, maybe previous patterns that have inhibited your spiritual growth? Or uh, could today be a day where you're released from from things that you tend to go back to, whether it is um, uh, just old beliefs uh, about church, whether it's old patterns of sin? Uh, In this story, I believe we can see how, how we can be released from things that used to hold us back. We can be released from patterns or um, um, comforts that we say, oh, I, I always run back to this thing. Um, but that thing, whatever it might be, might actually be something that's taking you back. Would it have been easier in some ways for Peter and John to just look at them, uh, the leaders and the elders, when they had said, hey, just go and don't preach in Jesus' name? Of course it would have been. Of course it would have been. This was actually one of the first great, great tests that the apostles faced. Uh, But you know what's interesting? This was the first test that they faced when it came to being persecuted. Um, But from here on out, it was the least of the tests they would face. By getting past this one test, by moving past this one 
previous pattern that they had of being scared of the persecution, but now by facing it and saying, we're going to preach in Jesus' name, it set them up for greater tests that they would endure later. You know how far those tests would go? In the future, this is what these same guys, the same guys who once cowered in fear, but the same guys who made it past this test here, this is what they would say. And just a chapter later, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They went from a group of people who were, who were hiding in the upper room, afraid of persecution, to saying, we rejoice in the fact that we have been counted worthy to be persecuted in the name of Jesus. They went away from their previous pattern and they started a new one. And whether it is being afraid or, or, or being afraid of persecution or, or just a sin pattern, um, we fundamentally believe as Christ followers that the gospel means we can change. I was watching a TV show the other day and there's this dialogue between two of the characters and they're asking, um, do you think people really can change? Do you really think people can change? Friend, the core essence of the gospel is that we're given a new nature is that we really and truly can be transformed. And in fact, after this story, a couple chapters later, we're gonna see a story of great transformation from a guy named Saul to a guy named Paul. His name actually changes to symbolize the type of transformation that can happen in the human heart when the gospel gets a hold of us. I don't believe there is any previous pattern in your life that cannot be changed by the power of Christ. Be released from it. Be released from whatever that might be into what God would have next for you. What else are these guys released from? They're released from religion. They're released from their previous patterns. I'd say they're released from fear. They're no longer afraid of what these leaders, what these men who had killed Jesus are gonna do to them. The fear is gone. We call this living in freedom. Our mission statement is to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. Part of that freedom then is all these things I've been talking about, but it's also a freedom from fear. Now, I believe our fear normally plays itself out in two questions, two questions when it comes to our faith. The first question is this, what will people think? What will people think? We could have programmed this morning one of the greatest songs of all time, Jesus Freak. Danny was singing, so he could probably come up right now and just acapella it. Uh, I'm not gonna do that. But uh, in this song, Jesus Freak by DC Talk, written in the 90s um, and still sung today in my heart, um, is this line, what will people think if they hear that it's true, right? What will people do if they, I don't know, I'm messing up the lyrics. Danny is looking at me with great contempt, okay? But there's something in there about being a Jesus Freak and asking what will people think. I think... This question is a question that plays in our minds and it's a fear-based question. What will people think if they really know um, what I believe? What will people think if I proclaim my faith? What will people think if I really live out the gospel in every area of my life? And we allow this question of what will people think to stop us from walking into the fullness of what God has for us or living out the full calling on our lives. It stops us from evangelism. Sometimes it stops us um, um, from, um, from making certain decisions in lifestyle or whatever it might be. Um, what will people think? And we live in this fear and we see here that the disciples have been released from that. Imagine a future moment for you if you're caught up into this one right now. 
where you no longer base how you live out your Christianity on wondering what other people will think, but simply on living it out in front of Christ. The other question I think we ask ourselves is this, what will it cost? It's another fear-based question. We think, well, what will it cost to me if I really live out my faith? What, what, what will it cost? And, and there's a many different ways. What will it cost me in reputation? What might it cost me in friendship? What might it cost me financially? What might it cost me in commitment? What might it cost me in, in, in what I might do in the future? What might it cost me? And uh, for the disciples, I think that was a question that they had asked earlier in their lives, um, but they're not asking it now because now they know the cost. They know the cost of discipleship. They know the cost of following Christ. What is it? Everything. Why? And how can, how could they afford uh, to pay such a cost? How could they be willing to pay such a cost? Because they had seen what this newness had cost Christ. They had seen that um, Christ was willing to pay the cost of heaven to come down to earth. And they saw that even on earth, Christ was willing to pay the cost of his life. That on the cross, Christ was willing to pay the cost of separation uh, for the only time in all of eternity from his heavenly father. And so as Christ paid every cost to win them, it then compelled them to pay any cost to follow him. So we ask this question sometimes out of fear. Well, what will it cost me? And then we play it out. And, uh, or sometimes what we try and do is we try to figure out how do I live my Christianity in such a way that it costs me little? And instead of asking the question, how do I give all for the pursuit of Christ? We, we try to, um, in our own minds, um, try to sometimes even manipulate certain scriptures. Oh, it, it must not mean that. It, it must mean something different. Oh, Christ would never ask that of me. And what we're trying to do is diminish the cost. Instead of being like the story in Matthew 13, where it talks about how uh, a guy, uh, it's a comparable of the gospel, and it says, it's like somebody finds a treasure in a field. The treasure is, is worth so much that the guy runs out and he sells everything that he has to, so he can buy the field and have the treasure. And it's a comparison to the gospel, that the gospel is so good, it is so rich. What we have in Christ is, is so overwhelming compared to anything else that we would go and we would sell all that we have so that we might have this gospel. Rooted that Christ sold out all that he was so that we might be welcomed into the gospel. And so what were the apostles released from? They were released from the fear, the fear rooted in the two questions of what will people think and what will it cost me? And the, the follower of Christ arrives at this point where they will say, no matter what someone thinks, no matter what it might cost me, I will live out my faith. I will follow Christ. This is what they were released from in the story. But what were they released too, right? They were a captive to something, and so they were released from something, and so now they were released to something. And what does the text say? It says, when they were released, they went to their friends. They went to their friends. What were they released to? They were released to their friends. Now, these are good friends in Christ. I want to show you the type of friends or family that you and I need to have in Christ. And the rest of the story shows a beautiful friendship a family that had formed in the, um, in the early church. The first thing we see that they did is that they were in one accord. They were unified. The gospel friends are unified. Gospel friends are unified in Christ. 
my most frequent prayer for our church is that we would be unified together. I can't forge Christian unity amongst every church and every congregation and every denomination in our city. And it's not that we ought not to be worried about that, but what we ought to be primarily worried about is the unity within our own church body, that we would be unified together, that God would bring us together and hold us together, that we would not let um, doctrinal division or um, sin or disputes amongst us ever divide, but that we would be unified like they were. They weren't always this way, but now they were. They were unified. That's the kind of friends they were. You know what other friends they were? They were friends that prayed together. In fact, right after you go into the story, you see the next thing they do is they just begin to pray. You know what the kind of friends you need to have are the friends that um, when you come to them uh, with, with a celebration, their first instinct is, man, let's just keep praying. And so they prayed together. And they, that's the kind of friends they were. In this story, uh, in Acts, the other thing they do is they, um, they, they quote scripture to each other. It's amazing. Think about this. Um, Peter and John get out of prison, out of prison. And you could say, yeah, wrongfully accused. Their rights were violated. F- fill in the blank with modern language and they run back to their friends. And here's what their friends don't do. Their friends don't attack the authorities. Uh, Their friends don't say, oh my gosh, Peter and John, I can't believe you guys had to endure that. They don't say, oh, Peter and John, woe is you. You guys should probably take a vacation and a break and just rest and and get better. They don't say any of that stuff. You know what they do? (laughs) These are the kind of friends you want. You know what they do? They, They pray that God would give them increased strength and boldness in the midst of their opposition. See, the other thing they were released from, or that they were released to, was to live with more boldness. Look at this prayer. Look at this prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In the midst of their threats, the only thing we see them praying is give us boldness in the midst of opposition. Boldness to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. They didn't get confused with what their mission was. In fact, the very next line, they say, we know our job is to proclaim the name of Jesus. We know Jesus's job is to perform supernatural acts that bring people to salvation. They didn't confuse their their missions with, this is our job and this is Jesus's job. What they encouraged each other in was this, let's just keep proclaiming the name of Jesus. The authorities will do what they do to us. Our job is to proclaim the name of Jesus and to not stop. They were released to their friendships, their friendship circle. These were good friends. They were released to greater boldness. And again, it was the next chapter where they're being persecuted for their faith. It was the chapter after that where we're going to see the first martyr, a man by the name of Stephen, who is um, murdered for his faith, simply for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And all along, their prayer is simply give us the power to keep proclaiming the gospel in the midst of their opposition. It is not factually or historically inaccurate to say that the persecution that the early church faced was one of the catalysts to its explosive growth. In fact, you could probably make a very, not probably, you can make a very great argument historically that the greater the church is persecuted, the more powerful it becomes. Politically, no. But in proclaiming the name of Jesus and seeing salvation, yes. 
So maybe you ask yourself, what's more important to me? Political power or seeing Jesus move? Because as persecution goes on the rise, the name of Jesus historically grows and expands. And the early church did not seem to be confused about what was more important. And so they were released to their friends. They were released to greater boldness. And they just kept proclaiming the name of Jesus. Lastly, they were released to live like Christ. I mean, the end of Acts chapter four is one of the most beautiful stories of the early church. I'm gonna read it to you as we close. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They show us the end of all of this. Uh, the church that Jesus came to plant. Uh, this is almost kind of like the, the, um, the first bookmark uh, in the story of the early church. The beginning of persecution, um, their, their, their prayer of boldness within it, and then the way the church responded, which was be- to become a deeper family, a more unified family, a more intact family, a more generous and sacrificial family. And that as they became more and more unified and more and more together, then their boldness increased. Their proclamation of the gospel grew. So did the persecution, but the strength of the unity, the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit in them, their togetherness as a church family compelled them to continue to proclaim the gospel in the midst of it. Where did this power come from? I mean, this story actually told us. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Where does all this power come from to be released, to be released to these things? It comes from the resurrection of Christ, his victory over death, the grace that was bestowed upon them. And so we root all of this, our unity as a church family, our boldness in proclaiming the gospel, being released uh, from tradition, being released from opposition or fear from it, being released from uh, the fear of those two questions, uh, being released from previous patterns. Where does all of that power to be released come from? From the grace out of the resurrection of Christ. We root ourselves in that. And then we walk in friendship, unity, boldness, and living like Christ and the church that Jesus came to plant right here. So friends, this is where we conclude our our redemption series with a picture of what the church that Jesus came to plant is or was. And now out of this, we get to be released from online service, finally. We get to be released from not seeing each other anymore. And we get to gather again in person 
starting next week. And as we do, I pray that we would take all of the lessons of these, um, these past sermons, these redemption sermons, and to take seriously then what it means to be the church that Jesus came to plant, to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom, to operate church the way it was supposed to be as a family. Yeah, and every person needs a family and every family needs a home. So our first step together will be to secure our home place together as a church. So then from that, we can begin the next step of what God has for us as a church. I'm gonna pray and then we'll sign off for the last time in online only services and I will see you next Sunday. Let's pray. God, thank you. And thank you for keeping us unified, preserved as a church body over these last four months. Thank you for the work you have done that we could have never predicted. You have um, done more than we could have thought or imagined when we walked into this season. But I do also thank you that you are releasing us out of this to something new. And I pray in that, that we would be more committed, more excited, more unified, and more ready for the work that you want to do in us and through us than we ever have been before. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great week. I will see you next Sunday at six o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.